eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll from 60 to practice to the sideline to the locker room following every twist turn and touchdown of the Saints season that is going to be a touchdown Taysom Hill Taysom TD welcome to Inside Black and Gold and that is going to be a touchdown again and guess who Mike Thomas now here are your hosts Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak oh baby Welcome in, Saints fans, inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller, Jeff Nowak, and we've got free agency week kicking in. Hey, y'all, this is Jeff. A quick note, we recorded this Monday afternoon. Since we recorded, there have been a few signings, so I wanted to update that rather than confuse everybody. Jameis Winston is reportedly returning to the Saints as a backup. Marcus Davenport has reportedly agreed to a contract with the Vikings, and Cade Nellis has reportedly agreed to a contract with the Falcons. So rather than put out a whole new podcast, here is an update. Keep in mind, anything said in this podcast was recorded prior to those three deals. Thanks, y'all. I know we got a little bit of bookkeeping to do, too, with some extensions being done with players. There's been renegotiations of contracts, and we've also seen Jeff a couple of Saints heading to new homes already during this, I love the term of it, legal tampering period has now opened for free agency. So dumb. Like, <laughs> you might as well just start free agency today. Like, it's so, so stupid that it's like we pretend that it's not going. We're going to talk a lot about that. Um, teams can agree to contracts with players. They don't become official until Wednesday at about 3 p.m. Central Time. And so, you know, I guess it's like you don't want to be too down that road in case, you know, there's like a change of heart, which I don't know if I can recall ever happening, but I guess it could theoretically um, right. before then. So we're going to talk about that in the first segment. We're going to get into a lot of what's happened today and 
over the past few days. There's been a lot of moves in the NFC South, not necessarily by the Saints, but they have already made their splash. And we got to talk to Derek Carr on Saturday. Not the best timed press conference of, of all time, but you know, it was a long one. He talked for 50 minutes, and that's 5-0. Then he went over and talked to Bobby and Mike Haas for another 20 minutes. So, I mean, he put in his time. He also was at the Pelicans game, and he talked to Jen Hale on the sideline. Like, he's he's doing the whole thing, and I think it's commensurate with the 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 impact of such a move. Like, it's a big move. It's a, been a long time since the Saints have made such a big-time free agent signing. And so, in honor of that, segments two and three of this here podcast, we're going to go through what I call kind of the top quotes from his press conference. Obviously, sitting through a 50-minute press conference is not something that everyone wants to do. So we did it for you, and we're going to kind of tease out what we consider to be some of the bigger statements, takes, whatever you want to call it. Right. And so we're going to get into that in the second and third segment. But first, there are some things that happened today that we have to get into, and it starts with the defensive tackle position, which the Saints effectively no longer have skyrocketing up the NFL draft board defensive tackle it's funny because we did the free agency predictions that closed last episode and I was half right right I like I had a feeling that Ryan Nielsen was going to get his team the Falcons where he is now the defensive coordinator and have a ton of cap space to overspend at a level that the Saints will not be able to match. So it won't even be a conversation. And I thought it was going to be with Marcus Davenport, which it could still be. But today, that happened for David Onyemata, who got a three-year, $35 million contract at age 30. And, you know, good for him. Good for David. He got his bag. The Saints were never going to pay that type of money to keep him around. But now they do have to face him twice a year, uh, and that's that's tough. The the move, obviously, you know, it it makes sense in the aspect where you, you knew the the Falcons could outbid the Saints, and then the detraction of Ryan Nielsen now being over there, not only as defensive coordinator, his D line coach, obviously has a and great. Terry rela- Fontenot is the GM. <laughs> obviously, yeah, there's that great relationship there. It's curious to see now what's going to happen with Davenport because I, th- I felt like we both were both kind of on that bandwagon I guess you would say of like if out of those two if we had to keep one we'd want to keep Onyemata and we I, I was thinking that that would be the case and let you let Davenport kind of walk now it's interesting you kind of have to keep Davenport to maybe put in that defensive tackle mix yeah I mean for perspective David was coming off of a three-year, $26 million contract, which he signed at age 27. And I would argue at a point that he was playing at a much higher level than he has the last two seasons. He's still a very good player, but I, I mean, I don't think that he's, I think he's peaked, right? Like I think he is past his prime to some extent, like he's on the backside of his career and yet he is signing a significantly larger contract. And like, that's, that's exactly what I was saying in last week's episode of like, the Falcons had the money and they have to spend it, right? Like they have $52 million in cap space. Yeah. Like they're going to spend it. And so they, one of the things they did was they gave Onyemata $11 million a season. He is one of only 16 defensive tackles in the entire NFL to average more than $10 million a season. So, I mean, I think it's, you That's know, if you follow Nick right. right on Twitter, he will tell you that the reason that this happened is because the Saints are irresponsible and the way they manage their cap is unsustainable <laughs> and whatever. But I will say, even if they were in a perfect cap situation, I don't think they would have spent the money on David the way the Falcons did. And Ryan Nielsen wanted his guy. 
and he got his guy. Shout out to Cam Jordan for, uh, you know, recognizing his, you know, now former teammate, but saying, you know, the, the money involved in that. He's like, go ahead and chase that that paper. He, he gets it, yeah. obviously. Cam, but, Cam uh, has been more active than ever on Twitter lately. He's reacting to and, everything. And he's on vacation in Spain. It's like, what are you doing? I think that's why he's going to like kind of bored. He's just sitting poolside or by the, you know, by the water. Gotta be. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's drinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> like he's on vacation. So he's shipping champagne being like, Ooh, let me see. Let me see what this crazy team's going to add while I'm on vacation here. Yeah. But no, so, so David, wasn't alone either shy Tuttle, which, you know, I'm, I wasn't surprised that the David Onyemata deal, just because like we knew Ryan Nielsen was going to go after his D line. It was an inevitability. Right. I did not expect shy Tuttle to get what I consider to be a pretty gigantic deal for a guy who, you know, has been good, but hasn't been great. He signed with the Carolina Panthers or they have agreed. It's not official until Wednesday for three years, $19 million, you know, for a UDFA out of Tennessee, it's been impactful, but not a, what I would consider to be a, a gotta have it type player. He, he, he made his money. He's going back to North Carolina uh, where he's from and good for him. You know, again, it's like a situation that it's like, I'm not mad. Good for these guys. I question the decision-making of the Panthers to, to shell out that type of money for a guy who I, I don't think has proven that much in the NFL other than, you know, obviously he's a guy, the saints are going to always remember saints fans because he, you know, stiff arm Matt Ryan into the dust the on gift Thanksgiving. That keeps on giving. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's a clip that you will never, that will live forever in like saints lore, but now he's with the Panthers and it, it leaves the saints with, and we just looked this up. Zero defensive tackles on their active roster um, because Malcolm Roach is also a free agent and he's going to test his market. I think he will probably come back because I think the Saints have to pay him based because they want to have somebody that, I don't know, knows how to get to the facility. (laughs) But that position, man, if we were wondering what they were going to do in the draft, we were already saying defensive tackle was likely. Now I I think it's like you don't never want to have to draft based on need, but like – when you have zero players at a position, what else are you going to do? The biggest thing, obviously, it's, you know, that, that quote unquote continuity, you know, you're losing up front there, but it hasn't been all that great. Uh, and that's why it was a position of need already. So the, the positive I'll take from it is, you know, best, well, not really the best of luck to Onyemata. <laughs> out with the old, we need in with the new kind of thing. And yeah, I'm sorry to say, uh, you know, fun guy to cover. He was, he was pretty, you know, quiet, low key, but, one of those nasty dudes when you got on the field that was uh, always pretty vocal and getting really up in guys' faces was kind of funny to see that from him. You know, the Canadian football of kind of... Manitoba Mahler. Yeah, that that project player that you saw some early development and that that promise. But yeah, like you said, I feel like he kind of has reached his peak. I don't think there is that... There's a next level to David Onyemata. Yeah, I mean, he was a fourth-round pick back in, I want to say, 2016, right? Like, he he was a quality player, spent a lot of time here. Um, Saints liked him, and, you know, he's a good guy. You know, he's one of those guys that you talk to, and you always are amazed at how soft-spoken he is considering how gigantic he is, right? Yeah. Um, he did have his troubles. Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, right. He did have his trouble the last few seasons, right? He's been suspended twice, and, uh, you know, it is it is what it is. Um I, I tweeted this and I, I do, I do mean it. It's like, 
in a, in a season where defensive tackle was a strength, I would be more concerned losing your entire interior defensive line in one off season. I would argue that it was among the weakest positions on this team last season. And while you obviously have to find quality replacements, I think you probably were going to have to do that anyway. So it does up the ante a little bit and, and puts a lot more pressure on filling those spots and making sure that you identify really good prospects in the draft. You know, maybe Jordan Jackson is a guy you drafted him last year. Maybe he can be a player that you, that you bring back and the kid out of air force six round pick. Maybe he's a guy that you, that you look at, but um, yeah, you got to do something. And so hopefully, you know, Todd Grantham uh, has already identified a few, a few prospects that he can, that he can hit there. Yeah. That's like you said, it was a huge need going in. I felt like, and obviously becomes bigger now, but more of, you know, just like we mentioned, there's, there is no bodies right there right now. So we, we're not even looking for depth here, folks. (laughs) Nope. You know, you're looking for starters, right? Um, and so we can kind of run through the rest. So a couple other moves, obviously Von Bell is headed to the Panthers. That's going to be another, it's like just another player that you're going to have to see, right? There's going to be a lot of matchups next season where you're like, I remember that guy. It's just interesting. What What is he doing going to Carolina? I understand they're paying, but why? I think you just answered the question. You believe in what they're doing with that draft, that draft pick? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. the and, and as you mentioned, the Panthers have also traded for number one. And we, we, when, we were on sports talk, when we were on Sports Talk the other day, I was saying, I really hope you didn't just trade for number one and not have any idea who you're going to draft. But now it sounds like they might flip back because they don't know who they're going to draft. Which, we, why we, make that trade if you I still was, don't know who your quarterback is? I, I was absolutely dying laughing when I saw the Panthers now are suddenly going to, well, we might be able, we might consider moving down from that spot. It's like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Why didn't you just trade up to three or something? Like, I'm sure the Cardinals were, like, the Cardinals don't need a quarterback. There's no way that they were not open to potentially uh, getting offered a huge deal from the Panthers. It's just strange. If you were okay with drafting the the number three quarterback off the board, then you could have just tried to trade up to three instead of one because I don't think they got a good deal on the one. Please. I mean, everybody talked about how that the Carolina deal, they just got robbed. And, you know, obviously good for Chicago. We'll see what they do with the, all the ammunition and draft picks they get. But the, that whole sweetener of adding the DJ Moore in that was just ridiculous. Right. Who I would argue is probably a top – 15 wide receiver in the NFL, right? And it's like the whole point of drafting players is to hope you get that guy. You already have that guy. Exactly, right. <laughs> it's just so bizarre to me. And it's and now they're like, well, maybe we'll just trade back. I'm like, what? And then, so, well, I saw supposedly to the owner and the head coach, they have different beliefs on who should be one. Great. That sounds wonderful. What could yeah, go it sounds wrong? Like it's going, sounds like it's going real well. Anyway. Nick Wright will be on them soon enough. No, he won't because he's, he's only focused on the Saints being – quote unquote, unsustainable anyway. So we can move on from that. Uh, There was a few other moves. Alvin Kamara and Cam Jordan reportedly both restructured their deals today. Cam Jordan, it saved him about 10 million. Alvin, it saved them. Well, we don't know exactly on Alvin yet. The the particulars aren't out. It's probably going to save them around 7 million, which if you also restructure Marshawn, which I'm surprised hasn't happened yet, it probably will have happened by the time this podcast posts. I I believe it happened as we're talking. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Great. Trying to keep up up with the Twitter sphere. Sorry. Fantastic. Well, it was an inevitability. Like, 
I'm saying this now, whether it has happened or not, we know what's going to happen. And that should put them at cap compliant. And they might have a few dollars one way or the other. There's a dead cap hit coming from David Onyemata now because he's gone. That was not there previously. And that's why if you were trying to figure out if they could resign him, that was a factor of like, if you had resigned him and extended him, you could have pushed that cap hit back. That's going to be another dead cap charge that they have to navigate. The Saints also signed JT Gray. Three years, nine point six million, and signed Jawan Johnson to a pretty hefty, I would argue, two years, twelve million. Like that's a that's a solid contract for UDFA a couple of years ago, who wasn't even a tight end. Uh, definitely, you could say a, a guy that earned it from you know being the receiving touchdowns leader last season. Uh, the work he puts in, tons of respect uh, for Jawan. Talking about that transition of going from wide receiver to tight end, and admitted you know that it's been a struggle not a struggle i guess it's you know a, a challenge to learn this new position because of what all is involved now in being a tight end compared to even a receiver he said like you know you got to be like this one of the smartest guys on the field playing this position you're playing two positions and right a, a guy too that you see with his he's got a family he's starting with you know i just saw he had a baby born a uh, fun guy that Beginning of games, you always see him on the field juggling. Just a, a presence around this team that's always been a positive light. And I think that's great because a, a dude that's always around in the locker room, too, makes himself available. And, yeah, I mean, if his, his arrow's still on the way up, too. I don't think we've seen peak, peak Juwan, for sure. It's impossible to associate with Juwan and talk to Juwan and be around Juwan and not really like Juwan. Like, he's yeah, just very a likable. very, very likable person, and it's good for him. You know, they didn't have to pay him $6 million a year, right? Like, to me, that's an indicator that they are very invested in him. They brought in a new tight ends coach. You never know how that kind of relationship is going to go, but to me, that's an indicator that Clancy Barone, the new tight ends coach, is very excited to work with Juwan Johnson because, like, again, he was a UDFA a couple of years ago. They converted him to tight end. They are invested in him now. Like, that was Sean Payton back when that was happening, right? So good for him. Really, he deserves that deal. And so I'm excited to see what he can do. We did talk about, like, before we came on, I do think that might change your perspective in the draft a little bit in terms of, I still think you try to bring in a tight end. Maybe if a guy you really like falls, maybe to the third or fourth round. But I don't know, like, if a guy like Dalton Kincaid, probably the top tight end in the draft, falls to you at 29, even 40, I, I think it'd be really difficult to pull the trigger on tight end that early knowing the holes you have particularly at defensive tackle and running back and we've heard it from daniel jeremiah and, and i forget another source is just everybody is raving about obviously how deep this year's class of tight end is and so yeah third fourth round maybe you could consider it but i think those early round selections you have a little bit more pressing needs probably than you know, the, the tight end position, unless it was something that they absolutely fell in love with a guy that, that happened to drop down to him, I guess. But yeah, it would, it would seem more of a later round pick than something you'd address early on. Yeah, and you do still have Adam Troutman, and while he might have an underwhelmed relative to his draft positioning, he's still a reliable blocking tight end. I consider, I compare him to Josh Hill. He's going to do a lot of the same things. But you, you could still upgrade at that position, I think. Um, kind of going forward... Or I guess going backwards. So those are the signings. Obviously, JT Gray, special teams ace. I I felt it was really important to retain him, so I'm glad the Saints did. And then Jawan, they've also re-signed Tano Passigno, Keith Kirkwood, 
Calvin Throckmorton. They did that previously. And I, I mean, that's about it in terms of what we've seen from the Saints thus far. I think it's not surprising to me that they are kind of sitting in the background right now. I think that's just how they operate. Generally speaking, there have never been a team that makes a huge splash in the first couple days of free agency, especially knowing that they already made that splash with Derek Carr. But one team that did make a, a splash that's worth mentioning is the Raiders, who have signed Jimmy Garoppolo to replace Derek Carr. Bizarro and, world, man. Yeah, and I don't think that's surprising, but this is kind of funny, and we talked about this before we came on, and I just want to kind of spell it out. I compare Josh McDaniels and Dennis Allen to like they are so similar in terms of their career trajectories in terms of like they're both getting a second chance at being a head coach even though really really went poorly for them the first time josh mcdaniels is a head coach for the raiders now dennis allen used to be the head coach for the raiders and even this (laughs) offseason both guys brought in a new quarterback but it's not really a new quarterback Dennis Allen was the head coach of the Raiders and they drafted Derek Carr in the second round in 2014, right? Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of the Patriots when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in 2014 in the second round. <gasps> it, I, I know this means nothing in the grand scheme of things, but it's wild to me how like that that's like that's not a coincidence. I, I guess it is a coincidence, but it's a wild coincidence. And they're in such similar situations. Like both guys... Now, I would say, you know, you're going into this season. You struggled last year. I mean, did the Raiders also go 7-10? and 10? That would be funny. Let's see. 6-11. and 11. Close. Yeah. So, Josh McDaniels in the first season of his second and, I would argue, maybe not merited head coaching tenure, went 6-11, and 11, got rid of his quarterback, and brought in the guy that he, you know, maybe not technically drafted because Bill Belichick is the you know, kind of handles the draft, but your quarterback's coaches, if you're going to draft a quarterback in the second round, when you already have a a voice in that room for sure. Right. Right. Like he's, it's because your quarterback's coach was like, let's go draft this guy. Right. (laughs) And so he's bringing in Jimmy G, the guy he's comfortable with Dennis Allen, the exact same way, you know, they had a guy under, under center in Jameis Winston, who the previous head coach had been like, yep, this is the guy in, in, in Oakland or in Las Vegas. That was Gruden. In New Orleans, that was Jameis Winston. I'm sorry, that was Sean Payton with Jameis Winston, right? These are both Super Bowl winning head coaches, <laughs> offensive guys who who were like, this is the quarterback we can win with. <laughs> and then got replaced and they brought in their own guy. And now you're in a situation, I would argue both of those guys, where there's no more excuses. Either you win or you don't. And they're doing it with the quarterback they both drafted in the second round of the 2014 draft. Just, I don't know. I, I, I'm a sucker for that type of symmetry and uh, it exists. Yeah. The, the old, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, like, really- and again, it means absolutely nothing. I just find it remarkable that they've, they've operated in this kind of exact trajectory. Um, anyway, it is all amusing how it all just seems to intertwine together there. And yeah, that, that connection with the the Raiders now and the Saints, I'm I'm curious to to know what the Raider Nation is going to think of this signing for them because obviously the injury factor is a huge for Jimmy Garoppolo. But are they looking at this now as oh we're bringing in a winner because if you look at his you know his postseason even success, yeah, it is funny too. Like it's like you look at Jimmy Garoppolo and he has a great record. He's been to the <laughs> NFC Championship multiple times. He's been when to he's a around, Super Bowl. right. 
And then you have Derek Carr, who's the opposite, who has a career losing record, but clearly people believe he is a better quarterback in terms of talent, uh, but he hasn't proved it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting comparison, and it'll be one you you will make down the road uh, based on kind of where they've come from and where they've gone. And yeah, hopefully the Saints got the better end of that kind of transition there. There won't be any excuses for Carr, obviously, now either. Obvi- considering that the Saints have been known as this defensive ball club, he hasn't played with a defense, you know, that wasn't worth – I forget what did our what did our guests say that hasn't been good since he was like a a junior in high school. Yeah, that that was great. Um, grade, yeah. So so you know now coming to this defensive focus squad, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Carr can do because the, the numbers and his performance over the years, obviously there there were some some down notes, but when you when you're constantly having to play from behind, that means a lot too. So uh, yeah, it's just. A fresh new start was needed, and I, I really – the more and more it sinks in for me, I, I love this this move for the Saints, and I think that in, even looking at the contract, in the end, this is going to be a pretty decent deal for them. Well, we're going to find out, right? It's going to come down to what happens on the field, and that's a good right. kind of segue into the rest of this podcast, which is going to be all Derek Carr. It's going to be all Derek Carr. So we don't need to talk about it anymore here. So let's wrap this segment up. We're going to come back with a lot of audio – and we're going to play for you kind of our top picks for, for quotes from his about 170 minutes of talking um, on Saturday in his introductory press conference. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you have not hit the subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening, please do that. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a rating and a review. Really do appreciate it. Uh, helps us kind of know what we're doing, what we're doing well, what we're doing wrong, what you want to hear more of, what we want to hear less of. If you hate scrunchies, I don't know. Whatever you want to say, put it in there and I'll and I'll read it and you know, maybe agree with it, maybe not. But that's the whole that's the whole part of the game, right? Help us help you, or if you wanna just bashes go ahead too we'll take it help us help us help you yeah something that kind of something like that all right keep it locked in inside black and gold okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. This is Inside Black and Gold. And for now, it's going to be inside the Silver and Black, or at least their former quarterback. And we did talk to Silver and Black Today host Scott Gilbranson in the last week's episode. It was very popular. So 
Uh, it seems like y'all enjoyed that. So we'll try to do more interviews as we go forward, especially in free agency. If there's any more big signings, we'll try to bring in some some folks who know those players more intimately than us just kind of bandying about as we do. But one of the things that Scott made pretty clear was, you know, if you go after Derek Carr on the internet, his, <laughs> his he's he's got a he's got a, he's got a hive. They're gonna come out. They're gonna sting you. They're gonna sting you. And and he actually he actually did mention that in his uh his press conference uh, i thought it was his, great he's like apologizing right away he's like sorry for my brother yeah, yeah. It, it's just funny because it's true and, and here it is oh my brothers yeah yeah so i feel bad for some of y'all if y'all tweet something bad they, <laughs> that's not it's not it's not coming from me all right uh, yeah but uh but they're but they're brothers and they're gonna protect their own so you guys gotta get used to that <laughs> you have been warned <laughs> the car hive is uh is not messing around no, that's pretty funny. Uh, definitely right off the bat, uh, you know, you get a little bit of his sense of humor too, that he wasn't all uptight about it either. He's like, yep, my brother's my biggest fan and he's going to defend me. No. And, and, you know, I, I obviously did not spend a lot of time listening to Derek Carr. Gosh. So here's one thing. Here's a quick aside. Bobby does not mean any offense by calling Derek Carr, David repeatedly, <laughs> but I got him he on did about that do it sure. a lot. Yeah. And I, we had some comments on YouTube saying how disrespectful. And it's like, yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, if you are surprised that Bobby is having a hard time keeping these names straight, you do not know Bobby at all. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> like, even even Derek, those, Derek Carr said his mom, it's Derek, David, and what's the other brother? I don't know. It's another D. So it's is like, it? yeah. So I just think it's amusing. You know, you, you know, when mom gets mad at the kids and she's like, Derek, no, 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 David, you come, no, wait a minute, whatever, you come over here kind of thing, so, and Bobby's had 11 concussions, folks, so he's, give him a little leeway. Yeah, like, if you think he's, he's being disrespectful, it's like, you should have seen this coming. He's in his glory talking to him, so it's, it's kind of funny that people think it was disrespectful. Yeah, if he starts calling him Drew, then we'll have to start asking questions, but like, even my, like, my brother's name is Kevin. And the number of times that my mother has referred to me as Kevin is just yeah. like, it's not even close to my name. But the best part is he just answered the questions. He didn't like correct them at all. He was just like going with it. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that is kind of telling of his personality. And the thing throughout that press conference that really struck me is like, I didn't realize that Derek Carr had this much personality. Like the answers he was giving really, you know, really thinking about the questions and answers and being very open you know, I think there is an element of telling people what they want to hear at these things. And I, that's what he's doing to some extent. Like, yeah. sure, he's going to say the right things. But, you know, it's you hear a lot of press conferences, you hear a lot of cookie cutter answers. And it's like, this could have been one of 50 people who said this, and you would never be able to pick them out of a lineup. The questions he was giving were original and were very personal. Uh, and I did appreciate that. That was definitely something I, we kind of mentioned during the season too, like, an Andy Dalton press conference was pretty boring to listen to because you yeah. knew you weren't getting you weren't getting a single thing from him, right? Um, right. And it, it's really I'm not trying to be a douche and be offenseful to to Andy Dalton, but just it's sorry his his answers for whatever you asked there was just no there was no pizzazz or interest in it. It was very cookie cut, like you said before that cookie cutter bland answer just to to answer your question without really answering it. For perspective, I asked him, I can't remember which game it was after. It might have been after the Raiders game, actually. 
you know, what does Rashid do on those go routes that makes him so effective at them? Like, cause it's like, there's a lot of fast guys in the NFL. Not everyone's good at running go routes and kind of getting open and, and, and tracking the ball like that. His answer, he runs really fast. Cool. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Very <laughs> helpful. Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, but speaking of wide receivers, you know, if you had asked me a month ago whether Michael Thomas was going to be back on this this team, I would have said no freaking way, just based on the restructure and how all of this is developing. But then, you know, Derek Carr got signed, and he thanked Jesus um, on Twitter. It's like, can we cue, like, the, the best friends music going on suddenly, too? It's like, what happened? And, you know, you would have thought they were best friends forever, but, like, they didn't know each other outside of a football sense. Like, they had never right. really spoken and then they apparently they talked on the phone and they just hit it off immediately. And I thought that this answer from him, you know, if you didn't know any better, you would think that there's no question that Mike Thomas is back on the back on the Saints next year. Like it was never even in doubt based on this conversation. But here, here, here's how here's how uh, Derek Carr described it. Just feel the competitiveness. You know, I, I, I just fell in love with him when I was talking to him on the phone. I really did. I, was, I told my wife when I got the phone, I was like, I could talk to him all night. You know, it makes you makes you just so believe what you're with your abilities and what you're capable of to do together. And, um, you know, he's very competitive. He's ultra competitive. And. Um, he's very physical, you know, he's dominant, you know, at the point of attack, um, you know, he's contested catch, you know, is unbelievable. Uh, his routes always admired what him and, you know, what he's been able to do here in this system. And so for me, you know, hopefully, you know, getting to throw him the passes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was a no brainer for me, you know, when I, when it came to decision times, like, man, I got him to throw to i got all these guys to throw to he's just been i mean we text almost every day now so it's been cool wow so he's giving you every indication that he's gonna be here for the long run just like you i hope so that's the plan that's the plan right like i mean yeah (laughs) i don't know if mike t's kind of decision in terms of wanting to be back was significantly impacted by Derek carr signing but it sure seems like it was it sure seems like like he wants to come back to play with Derek carr and you know, if if the Saints bring back Mike Thomas and you get any semblance of the the Mike Thomas from 2019, which obviously we talked a lot about last year, it didn't happen. That makes your offense a lot more a lot more scary, especially because this time last year we weren't sure what to expect out of Chris Olave. We barely we didn't expect anything out of Rashid Shahid beyond being a return ace if you ever got the chance to do it. And now both of those guys you're really intrigued by, and if you can add Mike Thomas to that group as the contested catch guy, which Derek Carr specifically mentioned, and Dennis Allen mentioned last season that was something that was really missing from this offense. Whew. You know, I, I think, you know, you, you can't want to temper your expectations. You don't know exactly what the ceiling of this team is going to be, but I, I mean, I can't remember the last time you felt like the offense was really going to hum the way that you can imagine it might. And uh, you know, maybe there's, there's some question marks there, but you know, it's a really encouraging to hear Derek describe that communication the way he did. No, and you mentioning Olave too makes me smile just because you know too the what we saw in the development of him last season without a, a can't guard Mike around was truly amazing. And if you can get now an upgrade at quarterback, a Michael Thomas back in the mix as well. What we saw weeks one and a little bit with there, week two, we could see more of that, obviously, and hopefully on a consistent basis if he could stay healthy. That's one thing. And all this, the the wooing and everybody, you know, this whole love fest. I really haven't heard any medical updates from Mike T. 
No, but but the injury. So I do feel like this off season, in terms of the medicals, is going to be a lot less mysterious because the injury he's coming back from. First of all, he got the surgery mid season, so like there's going to be no timeline issue, and it was a much less significant injury. It wasn't an ankle injury, thankfully. So like I think you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, okay, he shouldn't miss a second of training camp. He Really, he should be there for the entire mandatory minicamp. You know, maybe he's even out there for OTAs, getting work in with Derek Carr, and there should be nothing medically stopping him from doing that. So, so that's a positive thing. But the, the he also Derek Carr also talked about kind of the offense itself, and specifically, you know, the explosive nature of it and how it can be explosive. And I thought what he said regarding Alvin Kamara here was was nice to hear. Explosive, you know, very explosive, um, com- very very competitive. Um, you know, I'm really excited to, you know, have all those guys run down the field and just check one down to Alvin just to see what he can do. You know, um, that'll be fun. You know, I'm excited to watch, you know, Taysom run the football, you know, and have the ball in his hands. I'm excited to watch those guys run down the field, you know, with their speed and athleticism and, you know, the, you know, and Jawan, you know, the athleticism that he has as, as a tight end and the way he can move. And, you know, there's just so much potential, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, um, so you make a decision based on what you think it can be, but then you got to go make it that. And so, um, you know, when you watch them on film, though, you just it's it's hard not to get excited. You know, it's hard not to be, you know, for Saints fans, it's hard not to be excited about, you know, the roster and, you know, what Mickey and D.A. have put together here. It's uh, it's exciting. What stood out to me in that answer was was distinctly about Alvin. And so if you look back and, you know, I'm, I'm critical of Andy Dalton in terms of what he was able to do, but he did perform better than I anticipated. I thought he, he played well enough for the saints to win in games. One, if I had to pick one thing that drove me nuts, it was that for some reason, never threw to Alvin, like never just checked it down to Alvin. Occasionally he would, but like, that's gotta be a big part of the offense, not an afterthought in the offense. And that's how it was with drew. And like, so much of it, like if you go back, well, Alvin's maybe Alvin's best career highlight came against the Packers in the 2020 season when it was exactly what Derek Carr was describing there. Everyone ran down the field and he just turns and just lobs it to Alvin on the side of the field and, you know, never got over like out of like third gear. And he just casually works his way 50 yards down the field for a touchdown. You never saw stuff like that. You never saw screens. It's, it was so frustrating to watch the offense operate in that way. And I don't know if it's a Pete Carmichael thing. I don't know if it was a Jameis and a Andy thing, but that's got to be more of a more of a factor. And to hear the quarterback just be like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't need to throw it deep. I can just give it to that guy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things about the offense last season, you know, you look at the numbers and they were productive at times, but a lot of, a lot of th- times, you know, you look at it, and it just felt like they were stuck in the mud and things weren't going the way they should have been execution-wise, running so smoothly. There's too many guys on this team that have the speed and space to, to be more of a wrecking havoc and causing damage, and that just that wasn't the case. And I don't know, too, if it was a big issue with the offensive line last year where things weren't allowed to develop as much. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, Andy's not going to extend a play that long and have a chance to check it down. Maybe that's part of it. But I think it was more just a just a concept thing. It's like you got to always be aware that like even even if that might be open, like, but is Alvin the better option here? Like you got to be able to see that before the play and get to it. And they just didn't do it, didn't happen enough. 
And so hopefully, you know, I don't know, we, none of us know what Alvin might be facing in terms of discipline. You have to imagine there will be something coming his way next season. And so who knows how you'll fill that role when he is out, if he is out, but you know, they'll be working together eventually, you know, <laughs> assuming Alvin's not like, I don't know, in prison, hopefully that's not the case. And so it's good to hear that when, uh, when you get to it, but there's one other thing that you mentioned this uh, in the opening segment, and we, we've talked about this extensively. Derek Carr has a lot of comeback wins. He's got 28 fourth-quarter comebacks in his career. That's 13th all-time in NFL history. He's only been in the NFL for nine seasons, and he's only won something like, what, 62 games? Like he's like almost a third of his wins, maybe more than a third if I can just do math in my head a little better, have been of the comeback variety. And so he was kind of asked about that, and I thought his answer here was perfect. Yeah, we have like records and stuff that we did in the past, like I said, but it's not because I was just – you know, some Superman or something like that. It's because we all were on the same page and we all put a lot of work in to make sure everyone did their job at the right time. And we were in those situations so often, um, you, know, you know, coming back to try and win games or things like that, that we got, we got comfortable in those positions. And so I just, when you practice something a lot, you, you get better at them. And so I haven't, I haven't won every two-minute drive I've been on, but we've won a lot of them, you know. And so have they here. They haven't won them all. And in fact, I remember one where... We gave Drew a little too much time, and you guys almost beat us here in the Superdome back in 2016. <laughs> um, but thankfully, it was a There's long. Still field. a bad PI. Call. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, thankfully, it was a long field goal. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like it, it's it, it starts in April, and it starts in training camp. You know, us putting the work in, being put in uncomfortable situations by the coaches, like. You know, practice is going to be hard, you know, especially against these guys on defense. Like, it should be so hard so that when the game happens, you're used to going against that hard of a look, that tough of a situation, and everyone's, you know, heart rates are a little bit lower, you know, while, while the Superdome may be loud and hopefully on, on offense are a little quieter than, you know, some of the Raider games were on offense. But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, for us, it's just going to come down to execution and playing good football, you know, um, nothing, nothing special. You know, just everyone – Everyone literally just do your job and let's, and then we'll go see what happens at the end of it. Yeah. It's almost like when you're behind constantly, you get, you get better at coming back. <laughs> I thought that was a funny answer. Cause this, this is like, yeah, I, they put me in that position a lot. Well, you know, we we've seen this saints defense, you know, obviously, Oh man. I mean, it's, you think about what, what could have Carr done on this offense a year ago with, with what this defense was putting, you know, limiting offenses to, was truly amazing. Hopefully that can carry over into next year. Obviously, uh that the scoring defense is so vital, but we didn't we weren't able to reciprocate that on offense. With Carr coming in now, you know, it'd be nice. I'm sure he's gonna be loving the fact that, oh, we we only given up field goals and all of a sudden, you know, you're he can drive the that down the field and uh establish leads and put the pedal to the metal with this team. I love the fact too that he mentioned loving to chuck the ball down the field. Obviously, accuracy needs to be a key part of it, but that was something that was so missing. I felt like last year, but I know you 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 said that Dalton Dalton did stretch the field a lot. It just didn't feel like it to me, though. They stretched the field for, for big plays, but they didn't stretch the field in the intermediate plays. Like they had a bunch of forty plus yard plays, but they didn't have a ton of twenty to forty yard plays, right? And those are the those are the oh, plays right. that I think you need to have more of, you know, the, the drive starters and the drive finishers. And uh, I think that is going to be something. There's one more clip here and then we'll take a break. And it's 
and it's I thought it was telling. It's something that he said to Bobby and Mike on WWL, and I think it's very telling of this is the Saints and the quarterback on the same page because they both feel the same way about why he is here. My mindset is not 10 years from now. My mindset is this season. You know, like I'm trying to win now. And so I wouldn't have, I promise you, I would have not come here if my mindset or the organization's mindset was any other other place. You know, we are trying to win now and make it happen now. You know, how many years I'm going to play, I'll let, you know, my body and let right. the Lord determine that, you know. But I'm going to give you everything I have right now, and my focus is this season. And when we get to next season, it'll, we'll focus on next season. But right now, I want to make sure that we have the best season the Saints can possibly have this year. Yeah, and I think that is something that people need to understand and Nick Wright needs to understand. And, like, this team is built to have a window here. I don't know how high that window goes, yeah. but they are not a team that is that is destined to struggle in a bad NFC South as long as you have all the pieces in place that you need. And I don't have any issue with this team trying to win the division this year, right? I have watched the Giants go into the playoffs as a wild card and get hot at the right time. Like I've seen so many people saying, this isn't how you win a Super Bowl. Well, the only effective ways to win a Super Bowl in the last decade seem to be have Pat Mahomes and or Tom Brady and get lucky and get hot at the right time, right? Like the Saints haven't won a Super Bowl and it wasn't because they didn't manage the roster the right way. It was because things didn't break their way. It's, the Bills are in the same boat, right? The Bills have Josh Allen and they should be more competitive than they are and they just haven't been able to get it done. Joe Burrow is in the same boat right now where – okay, they have the quarterback, they have the talent, can they get it done? And it's a lot harder than it sounds, and it's never as simple as it sounds. You know, you can't plan for the referees having a moment of insanity and not making the most obvious call on the face of the earth. You can't plan for Marcus Williams missing the a tackle in a way that I can't even fathom him ever doing again, right? You can't plan for that. You can't plan for Jared Cook fumbling. Like, this is not a talent issue. It is a winning issue. And I don't have any issue, not one iota, with this team trying to win games. I have an issue if a team is not trying to win games and is not putting everything on the table when you feel like you can get it done. And so in that sense, I think this is the exact right move to make right now. Yeah, to me, it'd be more aggravating as a fan, especially too, if you're taking like a Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of approach to things. Obviously, they they got a Super Bowl recently out of, you know, what they were, were doing, but now it just seems like you're in that, you know, fire sale mode or, you know, not getting, you know, really trying to win the division right now. And when it's so wide open, they, they're they dealing with just, you know, Kyle Trask currently as their quarterback. Who knows if that'll change? You hear rumors about Baker Mayfield. I don't think that's going to be anything that puts them over the top as well. But, you know, r- right now, yeah, this that window is still – there's that crack open for this team. I agree with you. I don't know know how high it goes, but it was pretty clear, I think, to me last year that they did have a championship or a playoff caliber, I'll say, at least defense. And now they're trying to get the offense at least up to that on-par level. We bring in the signal caller to, because th- that was the biggest key ingredient missing, and it's it's been that case, obviously, since Drew, Drew's been gone. And it's it's a lot easier to talk about getting that guy, obviously. And I know people want to address it through the draft and get younger. But even if the Saints do still draft a quarterback or didn't, you know, they they hadn't signed 
Derek Carr and we're drafting a quarterback. That that guy wasn't going to start week one for you. And, uh, you know, it's highly doubtful was going to be the person to lead you to a Super Bowl right now, which this team is clearly uh, in the mindset they are in win-now mode. They are competing for the Lombardi still, no matter what you might think. Yeah, they're still a top, top consideration team in the NFC, especially now with the move at quarterback. Yeah, I think you're either trying to win a title or you're not. And it's like, yes, they could have done things to maybe win three years from now, maybe win four years from now. And maybe that's the smarter move. But to me, I'm not a fan of a team just because I hope that in five years they can go win when you look at the players in there now and you feel like they have they have a title window, even if it's unlikely, right? Like there's no such thing as the right way to do it. Like there's no, like you can go draft at the top and it's not going to always work out for you, right? Like there's no guarantee other than what you see in front of you right now. And yeah, so, look, the Jets, the Jets are atop the draft every year. Exactly, exactly. And look how we bad the say- Bengals were for so long. I was going to say, we used to say that about the Lions. Right? I was going to say that about the Lions, and they finally caught up to a little. Right. Look at the Cardinals. Like everyone was like, man, the Cardinals are doing this right. They got Kyler. Well, what does it look like now? It's never as simple as it seems. And it's really easy for people to sit there and say, well, they don't have what it takes. You don't know that, right? The Bucs didn't look like they had what it takes until week 16 of the 2020 season. And then all of a sudden they got hot. I don't know. I appreciate a team that wants to win. And is going to do what it takes to do that. Uh, but that's it. That's I, I enjoyed that quote from him because it's true. It's like this is not a team that's sitting there thinking maybe in five years we can compete. It's a team that's going to go out there and try to win this year. And if you're not trying to do that, then you don't bring in Derek Carr. Exactly. And that's I know that's a problem that some people had. They felt like, are the Saints really a Derek Carr? Are they really that quarterback away from being a contender? And to me, I'm sorry, but yes, winning winning the NFC South and qualifying for the playoffs means, yes, you are a contender. Yeah, and it's like, if you can get to the playoffs, then you have a chance, right? That's what's driving me nuts. It's like, well, only, what if their goal is to win the NFC South? Well, yeah. sure, that's always your first goal. You have to do that. And you have to get into the playoffs before you can worry about winning in the playoffs. Like, if you're thinking about winning the Super Bowl and you, you're not even thinking, okay, how are we going to win our division? Then what are you doing? But all right, this is my principal stand part of the program. Let's, let's wrap this up. We're going to come back. We're going to have... I thought there were some interesting things that Derek had to say about the city and the ownership and, and things of that nature that I, I think are telling of, of how players view this team. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowacki, Steve Gell. I'm going to come back with some more Derek Carr talk because that's what you want to hear. back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow him at Steve Geller WWL. If you have not subscribed yet, please do that. Really appreciate it. Leave a rating, leave a review if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, we're going to come back. We're going to do more, one more segment of Derek Carr talk. Got coffee on, talk. But with on Derek cruise Carr. control with Derek Carr. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was trying to make, I was going to make a speed joke, but I couldn't think of one. I was trying to make some kind of witty joke too, and something came up with like used car shopping. It just didn't sound good. I was like, "Nah, never mind." Yeah, we're we're, we're trying to sell you a used car in this podcast. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that last segment was a lot more about you know how he fits in the offense, late game comeback stuff like that. But I thought a lot of what he said and what was some interesting stuff to me was 
why he came here. Like what sold the Saints to him outside of a Pete Carmichael, who he talked very highly of, or Ronald Curry, who we talked very highly of. And I thought what he said about Gale specifically, you know, like, I don't know, how often do you hear about an owner kind of influencing the decision like this, um, like he talked about with the, with Gail Benson here? The warmth and the love that you've shown my wife and to my family and to me um, is really something that, you know, just took us over the edge. Um, the love and the genuine heart that you have um, towards us and towards your whole team and towards your whole staff. And there's not one person in this building that wouldn't say the same thing. And that, that meant a lot to us in the decision-making. Um, and as soon as we met you, it was like we met family. You know, it was like we already knew you. And, um, you know, the love that you showed us, and that meant so much to us. So thank you for welcoming, welcoming us to your organization and to your city. Yeah, I mean, like I love Gail Benson. I think she's fantastic. Apparently I'm not alone. No, I mean, for, for an owner too, what, you know, what other teams, obviously we don't know. I don't know. Uh, There's the only NFL team I've ever covered, but you go in there for like a draft morning or even during the year, there, there's the times that there's donuts waiting for us in the media room with a nice little message from, from the saints team owner. And you're like, what? I, I mean, it's nothing Obviously, that's a huge deal, but it's the little things that do matter. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I find her to be very, very relatable in a way that I couldn't <laughs> definitely could not say about most billionaires, right? Like, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because you know I, she wasn't always a billionaire, right? Like, it's it's not you know, and she wasn't always a team owner, right? Like, obviously, she took over the team from from Tom when he passed away, but like I said this a few times, there was I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before where like we were just like kind of in the facility kind of waiting and we just saw Gail like kind of wandering through the facility, like on her phone, just by herself. And I was like, she might be the most accessible billionaire of, of all time. Like, it's just kind of funny to see that like she's a person. And I think that's what, when you can relate to people in a way that's reasonable, you know, obviously she lives a life that I cannot fathom in terms of, uh, you know, I, I still, get worked up when my electric bill is more than like what it usually is. I'm like, Oh no, you know, I'm, I'm poor. But like, I think she is very personable in a way that is a bit unique among NFL ownership. And I think that's part of the reason that, that Derek Carr and, and his wife felt so connected to her so quickly. And, and that's cool to hear. And I think that is something that the saints have that not everyone has is that kind of community around the team. That is, I think, unique among the NFL. To me being a, a damn Yankee, you know, that's, that's moved down here. Gail Benson to me is the definition of what a Southern woman is the, from the accent to the charm to just the way she presents herself, everything with class elegance, total love for Mrs. B. And yeah, I I think that she has a calming presence too uh, about her that, you know, makes you feel comfortable, obviously. And yet it is, it is kind of strange to think about just the, that billionaire that is just so accessible and and really personable too, I think. It's definitely something about Gail that she was able to connect with Heather, Derek's wife. And, you know, it's helped. The one thing I worried about when Derek mentioned going around a tour, he's like, oh, driving up airline drive, you know, coming here. And I was like, ugh, that is not a sight to see going up airline drive at all. I mean, uh, have you ever been to Vegas? (laughs) 
<laughs> Once you get off the strip, there's some questionable areas there. Touche. Uh, uh, good point. Right, right. Oakland does, uh, has some questionable areas you could probably roll around in too. But yeah, and so, uh, you know, a couple of things he talked about was, you know, the Saints were all in on him from the start. And DA was all in on him from the start. And I think the way he talked about Dennis Allen underscores like, this is a pretty cool situation when you look back on it. It's like, it might work out, it might not. But, you know, how often do you see something like this? And here, here's what he had to say. And DA, uh, you know, I, you know, what, how I feel about this man, uh, hopefully me sitting here tells you what I think about him. And, you know, the opportunity, you gave me my first opportunity every time we played y'all, um, you know, since, you know, we weren't on the same team, I would always tell you thank you, you know, because you, you know, or in the press conference leading up to that game, I would say I was always thankful for DA because he gave me my chance. He trusted me with the keys to an organization and um, to be that quarterback there for nine years. Thank you, you know, for that. And, you know, we, we're just getting started, though. You right. know? And, uh, you know, all that's in the past. But thank you for, for texting me and, and blowing up my phone to make sure I picked the right spot. And I think there's a lot of people that are critical of Dennis Allen, and I think there are fair reasons to be critical of Dennis Allen. Who knows whether Derek Carr is going to be the answer, but you're kidding yourself if you don't think that Dennis Allen being the head coach of the Saints was a major factor in landing the top free agent on the market, in my opinion, as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Oh, that's definite for sure. I agree, too. The The past relationship obviously helps, but and you know, I was I was really surprised when Carr talked about the influence of Pete Carmichael Jr., too, and you know, the, the offense here and what, how, it, how it's run compared to how things were, I guess you would say with Josh McDaniels and how he equated coming here and being able to be, or have a little more leeway and able to f- maybe freelance and call things more a little, if he sees something, uh, having that freedom once he learns things like he did when he was with John Gruden kind of thing. And yeah, obviously you, you saw a productive player under John Gruden with Carr. So I, I, last year's numbers are definitely, uh, it was a downtick in, in what his production, but I, I think that it was just not, it was not a good match head coaching wise. And obviously that's why the Raiders have moved on too. Yeah. And so obviously Pete Carmichael, the other guy we talked about a lot this offseason was Ronald Curry. And I think it was very important for the saints to be able to retain Ronald Curry. He's the quarterback's coach. He's very well-respected. And he's a former player. And Derek Carr told the story about how, because he, he's getting called by everybody, right? And and Ronald Curry, who's obviously was a player, called him. And he's like, I'm not going to give you a sales pitch. We want you here. If you want to be here, cool. Come play. You know? And and it's like, it's like, I think that relatability is important. And having guys you respect on that staff. And this is what he had to say about Ronald Curry um, and kind of the, the bigger picture. There. He's been great. Um, so bright. So smart. You know, um, the one thing I, they're just so everyone's so even kill, you know. It's like, so I was waiting for someone. So when they gonna yell at me, DA? It's like, when, oh, that's yeah. coming. <laughs> someone's gonna yell at me sometime, you know. Uh, but I mean, everyone's just like so even kill. They're just you can. The one thing you feel in this building is from the top down, everyone is pushing in the same direction. You know, there, no one's stepping on anybody's toes. Every idea is a good idea, you know, unless it doesn't work. You know, it's not about who's right; it's about what's right. And that's one thing I've learned watching our offensive staff, you know, work and be together is, you know, who cares 
whose idea it was. It's our idea. You know, we, we are going to get the credit. You know, we are going to win the game because of A, B, and C. And I, I just feel that so much with RC and with Pete and with everybody. Like, it's just like, let's just do what's right, you know, and this is how we do things. You know, what are you in? You know, a lot of questions. What, what, what were you good at? And they're pulling up my, you know, cut-ups, and they have every pass I've ever thrown. I was like, oh, I forgot, you know, forgot about that one, you know. But, um, you know, it's been really cool to work with RC um, and talk to him. Um, it's been... For me, I'd say it's it's been really cool just the way he's carried himself too throughout the whole thing. So one thing he mentions there is like he knew they wanted him here. And the more you listen to Derek Carr talk, the more it sounds like it was always going to be New Orleans. Like there was a lot of, if you believe the reporting that like, oh, he's split, you know, maybe the Jets, maybe Carolina. But here's what he had to say when he was asked why he vetoed the trade because I think this is very telling of like his agent was trying to get him the best deal possible. And he understood that. And he let his agent, Tim Younger do what he does. But like everything within Derek Carr was wanted to be like, I just get me like, that's where I want like, let's just do it. Like, why are we wait? Anyway, here it is. I was very willing uh, to accept a trade, um, but I was only able to talk to one team. You know, I was only given permission to talk to one team. And so um, as much as I love and respect the guys, uh, you know, Dave and, you know, Josh over in, you know, the Raiders, like, I was like, it's not, I can, how do I make that decision when it's the only time in my career that I've been, could possibly be free? I can't possibly make that decision, you know, um, you know, without being able to talk to other people. But I still almost made the decision, you know, like I, you know, I felt so much love here, like I still almost did it. But at the end of the day, I just felt like I knew that when I sat here, um, I wanted to be able to, you know, look my kids in the eye and look my wife in the eye and know that I did everything in my power. I asked every question. I went through every process to make sure I tried to make the best decision for our family, us together. And so um, I wasn't closed off to it at all, you know, which was, you know, maybe shocking to some people, you know, but I, I wasn't closed off. Like I was willing to work, and but I just was only able to talk to the Saints. Um, but it worked out. Yeah, that's interesting. So should we conclude from that that the Jets or the Panthers or whoever else that might have been interested in trading didn't offer enough compensation to the Raiders to get into those negotiations? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, they, for whatever reason, I don't know if they even asked for permission. I almost wonder if maybe no one else was willing to make that trade, right? And so it right. wasn't even worth hosting the visit. And they were like, well, wait till free agency because – only this, the the Saints were the only team in this discussion that had legitimate cap constraints as it pertained to Derek Carr, and any other team would be like, yeah, we have the we have the money in free agency. We, why would we do this now uh, and give up assets, right? Because the Saints are a team that feels like they're a piece or two away. The Jets maybe feel that way. The Panthers shouldn't feel that way, <laughs> and the Panthers all along, I think, were probably considering we could trade up for number one, right? So they didn't want to give up assets in that regard. And, but, um, hey, but hey, if you want number one, call us. We might deal it to you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I only have one more clip here. And it has continued a disturbing trend of new, new players coming to New Orleans and having their first meal at Chipotle. It happened to Dyson Daniels, the Pelicans' first-round pick, and it happened to Derek Carr. But this 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 clip isn't really about that. It's more about, like, I think, again, it's like it's not just the Saints that kind of drew Derek Carr here. And you hear him talk and you hear how kind of 
emotional he is. Like, it's not just a, this is where I feel like I have the best chance to win. It's a, you know, he's finding a new home for his family and, and this and that. And I think that's like when you look at a Drew Brees and how he kind of embraced his situation over the years. And I think that's why there was this, obviously along with winning that helps. There was this real connection to Drew and Drew's family and he was involved everywhere and you couldn't, you know, he lived in the city and you knew like you knew where he lived. You could say, yeah, that's Drew Brees house. Right. You know, I think you're hearing a lot of the same notes struck with Derek. And I think this story that he tells here is a good example of that. And, and to the city of New Orleans, thank you for welcoming my wife and my children literally everywhere we've gone. You know, when we first got here, we, we you know, with all the great food, the first place we went was Chipotle because we didn't know anything. Uh, and, and we walked in there and we couldn't get out of there because of the love from everyone in that, uh, in, in that building. And, you know, they were taking pictures and just welcoming us, you know, to the city telling us anything that we need. They're here for us, and you could already feel the southern hospitality and the, the, the home feeling of it. And, you know, with that said, you know, my wife and I are super grateful, um, you know, to be here with our children and, you know, make New Orleans home. Um, you know, we chose, we chose New Orleans. You know, we chose this city. We chose the people here. Yeah, and I think that's where I'll wrap it up with this kind of Derek Carr love fest. But, you know, you never know how those press conferences are going to go, and I think he hit all the right notes. I think he answered every question correctly. I don't know if there's a correct answer, but I think, you know, there wasn't a question that I heard the answer to. And I was like, Oh, he's full of shit. Right. Like I never felt that way. And, and that's, and that's pretty cool. I think. And, and it made me feel a little better about, you know, maybe where where things are going. Cause I think that is a big part of this is buy-in from everybody, not just the quarterback, not just somebody showing up and being like, I'm in charge now. This is that's not what this is. Like this is a team that does have established veterans. This is a team that is going to rely heavily on their defense. This is a team that needs someone who's going to jive with Mike Thomas, who's going to be able to work with young players and Derek Carr and Rashid. I'm sorry, and Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid and and Alvin Kamara. Um, and I thought it, it went about as well as you could hope. I agree. Like totally came across as this genuine person. Yeah. Uh, easily to identify with as this family man had all the kids there. Kind of reminded you of like a Drew Brees, three right. boys and the one girl. My girl's um, the youngest, yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, I don't know, yeah, it just good vibes overall from an opening press conference. I, you've seen a few that have gone, I guess, disasters from some some folks, but overall, it's pretty hard to to ruin your your first presser with a team. Yeah, right. Everyone's there to say nice things about you, and you're there to say nice things about them. And like he he joked, like no one's yelled at me yet, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like you do, you hear and talk, you understand why people like playing with him, right? Like you understand yeah. why he has a very good reputation, even though he hasn't had the success that that he probably would have hoped, and I'm sure the Raiders would have hoped. I've been impressed with the number of people who have commented on YouTube who are saying I'm a Raiders fan, but I'm going to be watching Saints games now, right? Like that resonated with the fan base. That's not the case for everybody. And, and I don't want to compare him to Jameis, but I think like there was a there's a very different feel about him coming here. Jameis had a lot of a lot of fans too, but like it it does strike a different chord. I think it says more about maybe the the fan base than the player. Yeah, with with Jameis, it's it's a sad story of something we'll we'll just really never know with him, it seems like he did get his opportunity, unfortunately, couldn't stay on the field for this team. And you know, the, the availability part is, you know, the, the biggest part of things. 
I did see he was busy at Florida State doing some stuff with the uh, baseball team. Yeah, they, they he threw out the first pitch. It was not a strike, but they kind of cut it off where you couldn't see where it finished for a good reason. Looked way outside. <laughs> um, yeah, I I have heard like people say like they get like it's a very nerve wracking thing. You have one chance, and you got to throw it. And you know we've seen kind of hilarious like opening pitch kind of like the 50 cent where it literally went sideways. Right. Right. But there's no question. Jameis has an arm, obviously. Oh, he's a great baseball player. Right, he could have right. gone pro as a baseball player. Yeah. That's why it was kind of funny. Like I, I don't mind ribbing him, ribbing him a little bit because 50 cent, we don't expect to be able to exactly, throw a strike, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was a really cool video that they put out, but it was very clear that they cut it off right before the ball went, <laughs> but no, good for him. It looked like he was having a good time. And you know, he was a great baseball player down at Florida state. Right. And there's a video floating around from stealing home in a game, which impresses me. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting because I think Jameis likes it here. I think, you know, the team does like Jameis. The players like Jameis. Maybe, maybe that is a match. But yeah, so that's that's the Derek Carr press conference episode of this year podcast. I think it was we we gave you a lot of that sound. Hopefully you got something out of it. It is free agent week. We started this episode kind of talking about free agents. We're gonna have a lot more on free agency as the week kind of develops. Again, as we said to start this, the Saints are typically a team that kind of sits in the background for the first kind of wave of free agency. And, you know, that's what they did last year. And they ended up bringing in Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry. So I think the moves are going to be there to be made. It's just you're not going to see them kind of reset markets for players. And No, you're not going to see that Jarvis Bird splash big, you know, signing or – I forget was uh what was the tight end uh from the Colts Kobe Fleener yeah did, I think he got a pretty significant deal sure did <laughs> and he was a waste of cash good. right <laughs> not very good so yeah that's gonna be something to watch for we're, we're I'm gonna plan to do a live stream on Wednesday to kind of catch up with anything that's happened it's gonna be that's the first day of free agency so I think that'll be a good good catch up point and we'll have that on the podcast feed and then obviously. The next episode would be our typical episode that will post on Friday morning. Probably do it live on Thursday, um, you know, schedule willing. But there's going to be a lot to talk about. So I appreciate everyone sticking around. This is Inside Black and Gold. Hit like, subscribe. Do it. Do it. (laughs) All right. Thanks, y'all. Later, everyone.